to be back with another episode of Positively Pro-Life podcast featuring another wonderful guest. Positively Pro-Life is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation and aims to bring you inspirational stories and conversation, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm your host, Ramil Tenney, the Education Director at the Federation, and co-hosting me to, with me today is our Executive Director, Christopher Pashaw. Welcome, Christopher. Thanks, Ramil. Two weeks in a row, I'm guest hosting, and I was teasing that give, given our guest can't very well interview herself, uh, I'm glad to step in this week. So, um, but we're excited for this week's program. Yes, we have a very special guest uh, in our episode today, and it is none other than Maria Gallagher, our legislative director, who has a new book out there uh, called Mercy's Power. We had a little preview of it a few weeks ago, but today we will be interviewing the author herself, a very special person to us. And uh, but before that, we will be going and we will just listen to a small inspiration uh, of, for this week. So this week, the Kansas Chiefs City's team kicker, Harrison Butker, he made a very big pro-life statement when he visited the White House uh, on Monday in celebration of their Super Bowl victory. He wore a tie that says, I might be butchering how I say this because I don't know Latin, but um, it goes vulnerari presidio. And this means protect the most vulnerable. And accompanying this tie, he also had the, the 10 month, uh, sorry, 10 week precious feet pin. Um, and he made quite the statement um, re referring to Biden's administra Biden administration's aggressive pro-abortion pro stance. Now he says, I want to give the most vulnerable, the unborn, a voice at a place where every effort has been made to allow and normalize the tragic termination of their lives. So hats off to Harrison Butker. He has been creating waves and using his position and fame, the recognition that he's receiving in order to stand up for life. And we just are absolutely encouraged and inspired by that. So that's our story of the week. Was that a was that a real time update, Remmel? Because my sister Karen had sent the the tweet about the tie. Uh, or did you, did you already preordain this one? I had seen this one, but oh, okay. thanks to you, I just figured that this could be a story. <laughs> it, was, it was very natural for some whatever reason. Football players seem particularly uh, uh, into the into the pro life movement. Um, I know. Matt Burke, who used to be a center for the Ravens, uh, obviously Mark Kalk, myself, Harrison, and I think one of the guests at the National Right to Life Convention, uh, tight end, is uh, is going to be featured. So yes, Benjamin Watson. So come to National Right to Life and listen to him. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> yes. So we will go move on, move into our interview, a guest interview with none other than Maria Gallagher. Her second book, Mercy's Power, is a pro-life book that combines both spiritual living with wisdom of living your pro-life beliefs out. So, Maria, we welcome you to the show, this time as a guest. It's a pleasure and an honor to be with you both. This is fantastic. I, I can't believe that this is happening, but it is. So <laughs> I'm very grateful for the opportunity. 
And this, this is your fourth uh, bite at the apple uh, with your uh, Media Blitz campaign. Is that correct, Maria? It is. I've had uh, four interviews about the book, and I'm looking forward to additional interviews. So uh, it's taken off like a rocket. Well, we're very proud of you, and, and we're very honored to have you as our guest. Thank you. Yeah, so maybe we can start at the beginning of what inspired you to write this book? Well, it's very interesting because a pro-life book had been on my heart for a very long time. I've been in the pro-life movement for ages now, and uh, I really felt as if I had something to say about the cause of championing innocent human life. Um, but I didn't get the opportunity until I was on a podcast um, that's called Sparks of Mercy. And it's hosted by a gentleman named Chris Sparks. And he is an editor at Marion Press, where I published my first book, Joyful Encounters with Mary. And I was talking with him offline. And he mentioned the fact that Marion Press had not published a pro-life title in a long time. And I thought to myself, maybe that's my nudge from the Holy Spirit to start writing a pro-life book. So I indeed started writing the pro-life book. And in the midst of the editing process was the overturn of Roe versus Wade, which uh, changed my focus a little bit, um, but not, not the basis of the book, because the basis of it is how to live out the gospel of life. And it provides a spiritual companion for the pro-life journey. And it also talks about the importance of uh, works of mercy and words of mercy and thoughts of mercy in promoting that culture of life, which we all wanna see happen in the US and around the world. So um, I continued the editing process on the book, and uh, I was very happy when they released the book uh, in May, and um, it's uh, taken off, and a lot of people are interested in the subject matter, because we are coming upon that anniversary of the overturn of Roe versus Wade. The one-year anniversary is on June 24th. Uh, one of the days of the National Right to Life Convention. And um, a lot of people are kind of wondering what we should be doing in this post-Row era. And I think that the book provides a game plan for us as individuals and as a movement. And I think it's very important that people recognize the fact that um, we need to step up our game as far as outreach to pregnant women is concerned. I heard an alarming statistic just today that pro-life pregnancy resource centers, as wonderful as they are, only reach about 87% of the pregnant population. Um, and um, I think we need to up that to 100%. Um, and in fact, um, it may be the case that the majority of pregnant women don't know about pregnancy resource centers and they need to um, have access to information about pregnancy resource centers. And so it's important for us to get the word out, to get the message out that there are so many people who stand ready to support pregnant women during their pregnancies. 
and um, they will accompany them on their pregnancy journey and beyond um, to the point where the baby is one or two years of age. And um, I think that as a movement, we need to do more to promote pregnancy centers. We may think it's old news, but it's not to a lot of pregnant women. It's it's something that they're not necessarily familiar with. They don't know all the services that these centers provide. They don't know all the resources that are available. I mean, these centers provide everything from mentoring to maternity clothes and from diapers to daycare referrals. They're really one-stop shops for pregnant women facing challenging circumstances. And we need to get the message out. And it, it's, Marie, you've certainly done your part in what I will call your spare time to, <laughs> to fight the good fight in Harrisburg to, to, to ensure that that funding remains. And unfortunately, that abortion mindset where the pregnancy resource centers, which properly speaking, provide support and encouragement to women in a time of crisis are thought of as centers for misinformation. Uh, so you're right. It, a lot of it is just to correct the mindset and to realize it's a very live issue for the abortion industry to divert that. It is. And, and a lot of people think that women are making a free choice to abort their babies. And in fact, it's not a free choice for the majority of women, because we know from research that in at least 60% of cases that women feel pressured into having the abortion, they may be pressured by boyfriends, husbands, parents, grandparents. They may be pressured by circumstances. I mean, they might be told that if they don't have an abortion, they'll be thrown out of their home. Um, that's, that's a tough, tough situation. Or they may already have children at home and they're wondering how they're going to manage an additional child and they may not have the resources for childcare for an additional child. Um, they may be abandoned by the father of the child. So all this comes into play. And when they go to the pregnancy center, the center staff and volunteers treat them as an individual. And they realize that this woman is a child of God and she is facing tremendous adversity. And they want to reach out and help her with compassionate support and encouragement. And it is critically important that women be made aware of this because they're not going to find that in an abortion center. I mean, you can't go to Planned Parenthood as far as I know, and get diapers or baby formula. Planned Parenthood is there to perform abortions. And we need to let women know that there are alternatives to abortion that are very viable options. Once um, the women are made aware of the vast resources that are available for them. So Maria, you have been working very diligently and very hard uh, to keep these pregnancy centers funded. Can you share a little bit about that? Yes. Um, unfortunately, the abortion industry wants to defund pregnancy resource centers, um, not only in Pennsylvania, but throughout the country. The abortion industry sees these pregnancy centers as competitors, 
okay? Um, they see them as uh, taking away customers for the abortion industry. And so the abortion industry wants um, state governments to stop funding pregnancy resource centers. And in Pennsylvania, we actually gave birth to the state-funded pregnancy center movement through Real Alternatives, um, which uh, operates Pennsylvania's Pregnancy and Parenting Support Services Program, which has served more than 300,000 women all across the Commonwealth. And these centers include not only uh, pregnancy resource outposts, but also maternity homes and adoption agencies. And they provide a network of care and compassion for women in dire circumstances. And so it's very important that we continue to fund these pregnancy centers because without them, women may be lost. Um, they may not get the support that they need for themselves and for their children. And so uh, we saw just today um, in the Pennsylvania General Assembly, uh, there was a uh, hearing uh, sponsored by the Republican Policy Committee for the Pennsylvania House of Representatives. And they had uh, invited um, the directors of different pregnancy centers and also the clients. And it was so heartwarming to hear these stories of families whose lives were turned around as a result of their involvement with these pregnancy centers. A lot of people don't realize that uh, individuals can in fact uh, give birth and give uh, a good home to their children if they have support. That's the one element that's often missing in their lives. And these pregnancy centers provide that support that maybe their families or um, social networks do not. Yeah, and I think, you know, as you were talking, Marie, and obviously, you know, you give these daily updates for the for fighting the, the fight for these pregnancy resource centers. But, you know, it really occurs to me that these sustained attacks on them, uh, to me, the 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 abortion industry loses the right to be called pro-choice because obviously when when you're, when you're again when you have this hidebound contempt for giving women alternatives or actual meaningful support or choices um you, you've unmasked yourself for what you are which is to be an agent of destruction and and to be a proponent of abortion and not for alternatives so you know we certainly you know commend your your untiring work in that and you know as as just to tie it back to the book a little bit, it sounds as though, you know, a consistent part of what you're doing and, and the support that these centers offer to pregnant women comes out of mercy. Uh, and I know that mercy is has become somewhat of a theologically loaded concept, but it would help us, given that it's the title of your book, Mercy's Power, uh, to, to just give us some context and, and background on, on how you see that and, and particularly how you see Mercy working in the pro-life movement in your work? I think that Mercy is an incredibly important concept in the whole pro-life sphere, um, often under, unfortunately overlooked. Uh, when, we, when we first get into the pro-life movement, we often do so seeking justice for the pre-born child. And that's a wonderful concept, don't get me wrong. And we wanna see justice done, 
we want to see a point at which all uh, precious babies are protected under the law and welcomed in life. But in order to get to that point, I think we need to exercise mercy, um, particularly uh, acts of mercy shown toward pregnant women. We do the corporal works of mercy. We help to provide them uh, with clothing um, during their pregnancies. We help to uh, feed them and their children. Um, we help to provide shelter for them. These are all acts of mercy that help not only the pregnant woman, but her child as well. I also think that we need to engage in words of mercy. So often we hear the term culture wars in the media. And when uh, people think of abortion, they often think of people shouting at one another. And um, that's not helpful. We need to dialogue with one another. Um, when we approach somebody who has a different point of view on abortion and on the life issues in general, um, I think we need to start asking questions. I think we have to find out where are they in their thought processes? What makes them think that they are, quote unquote, pro-choice? And we may find that they are operating under a lot of misconceptions. For instance, when I was a journalist. I did a lot of stories about the issue of abortion, but I really didn't know how an abortion takes place. I didn't know that abortion is an inherently violent act. I also didn't know about the development of the unborn child. I didn't know, for instance, that a heart can start beating 24 days after conception and brain waves can be detected 43 days after conception. And at six weeks after conception, a baby resembles a miniature doll with arms and legs and fingers and toes. I did not have this information. It was only when I became acquainted with somebody from the pro-life movement that I began reading pro-life materials and my eyes were opened. And when my eyes were opened, my heart was also opened the struggles of pregnant women and their children. And I became a pro-life advocate. Um, my calling to the pro-life movement actually occurred when I was in seventh grade, I believe, when our teacher led us to a um, prayerful, um, peaceful, silent demonstration at our state capitol in Ohio. Um, and when I was there, I wondered, where are all the people? I didn't realize there was such a thing as the March for Life, which attracted hundreds of thousands of people from all across the country. Um, I wasn't knowledgeable about the pro-life movement, but um, that invitation stuck with me. Unfortunately, when I got to high school and college, I became very involved in my studies and the study of journalism. And the more I studied journalism, the more I became indoctrinated in the so-called pro-choice speak, as it were, um, using terms like fetus to describe the unborn child, um, using terms such as pro-choice when what was really meant was pro-abortion. And it took my uh, opening myself up to being engaged with pro-life activists and reading their materials and going on the internet and doing my independent research before I came to the conclusion 
that life begins at conception, it must be protected and treasured from the moment of conception, and that pregnant women are often hurting and they need help and hope, not a cold-hearted offer to take the lives of their offspring. Yes, um, I think you share some of these parts in your book. And, um, and then you also proceed to talk about some people who modeled what being pro-life meant means to you. So can you share uh, some of those role models that you've had along the way? I think the foremost pro-life model in my lifetime has been um, Pope John Paul II. I think that he was a uh, fearless leader in the cause of life, and he actually wrote something called the Gospel of Life, which I take great inspiration from. And um, he modeled in his own life um, the the fight for life when he became um, uh, debilitated by illness, and yet he struggled on. He didn't ask for assisted suicide or ask to be euthanized. He lived as long as he could, and he showed great courage in living and great strength. And I drew a great deal of encouragement from his life and from uh, the example that he showed. I think also Mother Teresa uh, was a phenomenal ambassador for life. She took care of the poor. She also took care of the unborn child, and she told women, if you do not or cannot take care of your child, I will take care of your child for you. She was that confident that she could provide the help and support that that child needed to grow and to prosper. And um, in our time right now, I think that Pope Francis um, often heralds the importance of life. Um, I have a quote on my wall from him about the importance of um, fighting for life in a, in a peaceful, prayerful fashion. And I think that um, his words on life are, are very encouraging. And so these are some of the role models that I've had. Um, and I've been very fortunate in Pennsylvania to meet some very strong pro-life leaders, especially strong pro-life female leaders um, who are still fighting for life into their 80s and 90s. And uh, these are great role models for me and for so many other people. Yeah, that I, I think uh, you, you and me both uh, were inspired by John Paul II. I remember being in college and taking a humanities course and reading Humani Vitae and Centesimus Annus and uh, you know, obviously, Pope John Paul II was a foremost philosopher, but just the simplicity of making the cause for life and outlining the culture of life that's opposed to that. And certainly he came out of the welter of, of fascism and Nazi Germany um, and and the you know the repression of of his home country by the Soviets. So, you know, it, it it was kind of all of a piece to him, but but I found him just just as powerful, Maria. Um I think some of some of what's you know clearly evident that's undergirding mercy's power and just from what you you've been discussing is the importance of faith in this mission. Um, I remember there, there's a pro-life leader actually for pregnancy resource centers in Pennsylvania who when Remmel and I toured his his facility, he said, This job will bring you closer to God. 
Um, and if if you could uh, just just speak to to how your faith has helped you, um, and and just kind of bear witness to to that to the power of that quote. Uh, I certainly can. Um, now it's important to realize that the pro life movement welcomes people from all different faiths and no faith at all, um, and you don't have to have a strong faith to be a strong pro-lifer. That being said, um, I have found in my own life that faith is tremendously important. Um, I begin each day with spiritual reading um, and prayer, and I continue that prayer throughout the day. Um, this time of year, budget season, I'm praying very hard um, for our pregnancy resource centers to be fully funded. Um, I have prayed through pro-life legislation in the past in Pennsylvania and nationally. And so um, I thrive on prayer. Um, I get um, encouragement and support from God every single day that I work for the pro-life movement. Um, my faith has been strengthened by my association with the pro-life movement. And uh I am very grateful for all the prayers that people say for us. I meet people all the time who say, you know what? I am praying for the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. And those prayers absolutely keep me going. And I know that they keep the staff going. And I'm very grateful to those individuals um, who take time um, to say a prayer for us because goodness knows we need it. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, this might be my shameless Augustinian training coming out, but I remember the Bishop of Hippo's quote to to act as if everything depends on you and pray as if everything depends on God. And I think you certainly embody uh, those twin virtues, Maria. But uh, Remel, you can you can take us home. Yes. Uh, in conclusion, though, I do want to ask Maria one last question. Could you share some highlights from your time in pro-life working for of, for the Federation? And honestly, how long has it been? It's been a very long time. Uh, I'm polite to ask a woman that question. <laughs> I've worked <laughs> in Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation now for 20 years, and they've been very blessed years. And I think the highlight was definitely the overturn of Roe versus Wade. There was nothing bigger than that. Um, I think that the um U.S. Supreme Court ruling on partial birth abortion um, when the um, Supreme Court finally um, gave the okay to a uh, federal law against uh, partial birth abortion. That was certainly a huge victory. In Pennsylvania, uh, we passed a bill which ensures that there is no taxpayer funding of the um, health insurance exchanges created in Pennsylvania under Obamacare. And that was a great victory. Um, but it couldn't be done without all the chapter leaders out there and all the volunteers and all of our supporters. You really make it happen. You make miracles happen. And I want to thank you for that. All right. So that was a legislative director, Maria Gallico was also the author of a, of a pro-life spiritual book called Mercy's Power. Can you tell us where we can get that real quick? Sure. Um, Mercy's Power is available at shopmercy.org. That's shopmercy.org. Thank you so much, Maria, for being here and Chris for hosting with me. 
Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation all across the Commonwealth. Thank you for joining us for the program today, and remember, there's always a reason to choose life.